Welcome to Crazy Enough to Win. I'm your host, John Grubbs. Welcome to the show. So for all of you regular listeners, I've always promised you that we would go big on this show, that we would challenge the popular narrative, that we would engage in conversations that, well, you might not hear everywhere else. So today we're going big with, I think, probably one of the most important questions of our time, especially during a pandemic. So here's the question. Should social media censor free speech? And this is an important question society must answer. YouTube just pulled a video from two licensed doctors who shared their protocol opinion and statistical findings about COVID-19. These people are doctors. They're licensed doctors. And regardless of whether we believe their findings or not, should their voices be muzzled? And the viral video in contention shows Bakersfield, California, accelerated urgent care doctors, Dan Erickson and Artin Masihi at a news briefing last week. And their message was what many Americans have hoped to hear, that the coronavirus is not worse than the influenza, its death rates are low, and America could reopen. The pair had set up Bakersfield's only private walk-in COVID-19 testing site and performed about half of all tests conducted in the area. Now, here's the problem. Some doctors are fighting back against Erickson and Masihi's claims, arguing that their findings are riddled with statistical errors. And in a rare statement released on Monday, the American College of Emergency Physicians and the American Academy of Emergency Medicine declared they emphatically condemn the opinions released by Dr. Erickson and Dr. Masihi. And they went on to say that these reckless and untested musings do not speak for medical societies and are inconsistent with current science and epidemiology regarding COVID-19. And as owners of local urgent care clinics, it appears these two individuals are releasing biased, non-peer-reviewed data to advance their personal financial interests without regard for the public's health. So there you have it. There's two sides to this. And regardless of who is right or wrong, shouldn't the public be allowed to hear dissenting opinion so that we can form our own opinion? And I've always encouraged my two boys to look at things, to analyze things, and to form their own conclusions regarding reality. And I personally think it's dangerous to follow someone else's opinion of reality. And then last week, YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki, I'm going to say this wrong, Wojcicki told CNN anything that would go against the World Health Organization recommendations would be a violation of YouTube's policy. So let's, let's just pause here a moment. The World Health Organization has been wrong in its recommendations as well. And in January, the World Health Organization told us that coronavirus could not spread from person to person. And in March, 
It's just last month, people. They told us that face masks did not work. So here's the thing. We are all learning as we go. We don't have a lot of experience with a pandemic. Heck, this is our first one. And we're going to get things wrong as we learn and gain more information. Now listen to the response. This is Erickson, one of the doctors, said Tuesday that the video was comprised of raw data and labeled accurately. And he went on to say we had tested about 5,213 people at the time the video and we had 340 positives, which is a 6.5% rate. He said, so I was giving them the raw data. It was not a biostatistical analysis. It was not peer reviewed. And we didn't say that it was. It was just merely raw data. Huh, so what's wrong with raw data? Unless you question the data. Hmm. So this is a slippery slope, people. If social media gets to decide what we can and cannot hear, who is next? The media? The universities? High schools? Elementary schools? Wait, this is already happening, isn't it? It's happening very quietly. And at this point, who is right or wrong in this argument is secondary to the point of this podcast. And I don't want to argue the merit of either side. It's irrelevant to this podcast. The doctor's video was produced at a local television channel, and it was, in fact, a mainstream news story. The video was not pornographic and didn't violate any copyright or incite violence. The only justification for taking it down was that the physicians on screen had reached different conclusions than the current people in charge. So I want to revisit the First Amendment because I think it's important for us to go through those words to, well, to form our own opinion about this. So here's the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Let me read that again. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So with most people getting their news and information from social media, does this amendment apply? And I'm sure the constitutional scholars are going to debate this long into the future. Now listen to Nicole Martin with Forbes. She has an interesting take on this. She said, social media has become the main source of news online. Sounds like the press to me. With more than 2.4 billion internet users and nearly 64.5% receiving breaking news from Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, and Instagram instead of traditional media. And in a recent survey, 50% of internet users surveyed said that they hear about the latest news via social media before ever hearing about it on a news station. And that many internet users will see breaking news stories on their feed and go to the news sites to learn more. And the survey found 50%, 57% of increase in traffic to news sites 
referred from social media. So social media is becoming the gateway to the news or to the press. And she went on to say that social platforms have a control over what news and information we see. Our social media friends have become, well, they become the managing editors deciding what we see. And an article needs to be liked and shared multiple times before many people will see it in their feed. Therefore, social media and your social friends have control over what news pieces you see and what you do not. And there are also many fake news websites that compete for attention with sensational headlines and ridiculous storylines that tend to get shared more often due to the lack of readers fact-checking or reading more than just the headline. Most people just read the headline, people, and they form an opinion based on the headline. That means the authentic content is hard to come by now. In fact, fake news is actually more likely to spread than the truth because it's sensationalized. And falsehood diffused significantly farther, faster, deeper, and more broadly than the truth in all categories of information. And the effects were more pronounced for false political news than for false news about terrorism, natural disasters, science, urban legends, or financial information. This was from a team led by Sinan RL at MIT. So he's got some credibility just based on the school that he's associated with. And news happens fast now. Today's story will be tomorrow's forgotten story. It is easy to miss things now because of how quick stories can get turned around and shared. And while having so much information at our fingertips is great, it is worth, well, checking sources and not taking headlines as the truth. With social media as our news managers, it is up to us to become the new fact checkers for media. So the question is, you know, in a pandemic, isn't it important that we have access to all points of view so that we can make our own judgment about our next steps to recover from this virus? And listen to this excerpt that I found in the North Carolina Law Review. Every imaginable group has increasingly used Facebook, Twitter, and other social networking sites to announce information. Celebrities, politicians, newsmakers, and affinity and interest groups, even print online and television journalists have turned to social networks for both content and sources. So our news people are getting information from social media. Reporters from traditional news organizations have joined Facebook communities. Facebook is being used to report the news. And Twitter has become indispensable in the dissemination of information about breaking news. Many people love Twitter because it's short and it's sweet. And in addition to, or sometimes instead of, original sources or ordinary sources, the mainstream journalists have also used social media to gather background, to ask questions, to solicit story ideas, and crowdsource information for their reports. Reports and videos from eyewitnesses, otherwise known as citizen journalists, everybody's quick to grab their phone and take a video, and YouTube have made their way into traditional news reporting as well. News gathering now includes receiving and disseminating reports and video from people not even affiliated with professional news organizations, sometimes without editing or fact-checking. Now, this is all coming from the Law Review. 
Some have characterized the future of news as being increasingly pro-am, meaning more amateurs in that way. And, and even commercial newspaper sectors are experimenting with open news or open newsroom models in which newspapers make some part of their editorial work visible to the public and solicit citizen participation. And over 100 websites are reported to have created by former newspaper reporters and they help citizens focus on the news, particularly at the local level. So I know this is going long, but, but stay with me. Um, this news journal piece or this law journal piece is almost over, so don't, don't leave. The creation of news, because there's a reason why I want to share this with you, there's, the creation of news has been recast as fundamentally social endeavor. It's social behavior in which the reporter is only one part of the community. Supporters claim that reporter participation in social media humanizes journalists and makes the journalistic process transparent to the public, perhaps even increasing credibility for the journalist as a result. And many natives of digital journalism see the news as a conversion rather than an imposition of order through narratives by elite news organizations. They reject the view of news organizations as leaders of the conversation by setting the agenda, allowing the conversation by inviting comments or stories after they are complete, or judging the conversation or controlling the conversation. They see news as a real-time process of sharing and correction in which journalists and public truly collaborate without journalistic priority or authority. So thanks for bearing with me with that. That was really important for you to hear. And you may ask, what the heck does that mean, John? Well, in my humble opinion, if social media platforms are now the transmission points for news, however we define it, scholars must ask the First Amendment question again. Can the transmission entity unilaterally make opinion from experts credible or not? Can they unilaterally determine what is news and what is not? These questions are important because owning a platform is different from controlling content on a platform. And here's the, here's the summation of this. We are in dangerous waters when large social media companies become the self-proclaimed authority on content. They know this, by the way, and they're smart people. And at the core of social media companies, there is the heart of free speech and opinion. I mean, why would you even build an open platform in the first place? And I am sure there is constant pressure on the leaders of these platforms to get their influence and to get them to become, well, a voice for other priorities. And if someone has a loud voice, you want them to tell your message. So I am optimistic that this will self-correct. Without the freedom to expression, the platform will become irrelevant or even replaced by something better. And it is in the interest of these platforms to eliminate censorship as much as they possibly can. Other platforms want to get to where they are now. Now, by the way, the more you try to hide something from the public, the more people will share and promote it. 
I am seeing the video of the two doctors everywhere now. They're getting more viral activity than ever before just because YouTube pulled them from their platform. So remember, this podcast is crazy enough to ask hard questions. We are crazy enough to go big and we are crazy enough to win. Until next time.